Well, as Pastor Cody mentioned earlier, and as you've seen, we're taking a break from a normal Sunday today and uh, highlighting a couple things that are very important and very uh, just a part of who we are. And uh, I'm going to be taking some time here and just talking with you about small groups here at Harvest. And why would we spend some time on a Sunday to talk about small groups? Uh, The reason for that is because small groups are at the very center of our ministry target. And we're about to really get them started up here again for this year. I want for you to understand small groups for us is not a fad. And also it's not a just in the theater thing that we're doing. Uh, This is a core of who we are and why we do ministry the way we do. And I think a viable question is, Doug, why is small groups at the very center of our ministry design? Uh, That's a great question. And that's what I want to take a little bit of time here and just talk with you about uh, why it's a big deal to us. And I first want to make sure that whether you're in a small group or not, what I'm about to talk to is about really important. It's really important because if you want to understand this ministry and why we do the things that we do and why we're passionate about the things that we do, whether you're in a small group participating in one this fall or not, it doesn't matter. This is going to help you understand why we do what we do here. And what I want to do is I want to take some time here and kind of take it from a very personal experience, if you will, kind of from the angle of Karen and I. Why are small groups a big deal to us? And therefore, it comes into kind of why we uh, are here with Harvest doing it. In fact, I'll say it this way. Karen and I became part of Harvest Ministries in great part because Harvest Ministries is about being not just a church with small groups, but a church of small groups. And it's so important to us that I'll tell you this, we wouldn't be here if this wasn't a component of the center of the target of this ministry. That serious about it. Why is that the case? Well, I want to talk to you about two reasons why small groups are very, very important to us. Uh, Number one is from our own experience, just from our own experience. If you were to analyze the typical church ministry structure uh, over the last hundred years, say the typical church ministry structure, like in the 1900s, you would really come to find out what uh, I would call big circle, medium circle church ministry design. That's basically how church was done. That's its design. That's its strategy. And what I mean by that is on the big circle part of it is that's the large corporate gatherings. That's what we're doing right now. That's what the auditorium in a church is for, those large corporate gatherings. The the medium circle part of it is that medium sized number of people, generally anywhere from 25 to 125 that gather together. And that's generally in Uh, an adult or teen Sunday school class or commonly called more modern uh, ABF, adult Bible fellowships that take place. And the, the, the big circle, medium circle, church's kind of ministry week uh, really looks like this. Um, On Sunday, you, you come to church and you go to your Sunday school class, your ABF, and, uh, and then you go to church, or that might be reversed around, and then you go to the church service. And then Sunday evening, you, you come back, and, and you have a, another gathering, uh, kind of like the church service earlier, but maybe you don't have to wear a tie or you could wear jeans. Uh, but it was Sunday evening. And then Wednesday night was uh, another large group gathering, generally. Oftentimes, it'd have kind of a prayer, supposedly a prayer focus to it or whatever, but that's kind of the, 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 the weekly mode that it would carry out. Now, I'll think about this for a moment. 
the focus is clearly that of teaching. And I mean teaching, and then teaching, and then teaching, and then teaching. It's uh, teaching in Sunday school class, teaching in the church service, teaching on Sunday night, teaching on Wednesday night. And it's really a one-directional data-disseminating structure. It's pointed in that direction where really 1% of the church is uh, interacting, speaking to 99% of the church. Uh, And just by its very nature, it is about data retention and data dissemination. And uh, I would even say by its innateness on how it's set up, growing in Christ ends up being in some shape, manner, or form measured by one's knowledge of Christ. The relational side of it. How does the relational side work? Well, generally, and most of the time, 99% of the people are positioned to be hearers and not really given the opportunity much to interact. And to feed back, it's that data downloading. And and I would suggest, again, by its very nature, big circle, medium circle church ends up fostering low-cost, easy, comfortable, convenient surface relationships just by its nature. And one can come in and sit down and hear and leave and have anywhere from minimal to no interaction potential. Now, Doug, are you mad about it? Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. In fact, listen to me. Karen and I, uh, in all of our ministry uh, time over the years, Karen and I have been involved in those kinds of churches. And we praise God for what God has done through those ministries. What I've just said is not intended to badmouth that. It's intended just to be an honest, straight-up reality evaluation of that. As Karen and I were looking to go into ministry, and especially into a, into a leading senior pastoral role, part of what took place is us analyzing what kind of ministry structure do we want to be a part of. And this is just honest analysis of what we've done in our own life. And we really came down to the, the big circle, medium circle model. It's data-driven, low-cost relationship. And we were asking the question, is that what we want to do? Is that what we should do? So we began to ask questions. And, and where do you go when you have questions about life? About where, Where's the best place to go? God's word. Okay, that's so I would invite you, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, I'll get there in just a minute. Uh, But from experience, we began to ask questions, and that drove us to Scripture. So two things that have been driving why we are big on small groups is not only from our personal experience, I'm just kind of being transparent with you, but also is what we came to understand from Scripture. Karen and I went to Scripture, and we asked this question. What was Jesus' ministry strategy? Did Jesus have 
a ministry strategy. Because I would think, we, would th- we thought, if he had a particular ministry strategy on how to do ministry, I mean, like, he knows how to do things, right? And, and so we were like, you know what, let's go and let's grab a hold and let's find out and maybe we should emulate that. And, and let me just say it in a sentence. Here's what we came to learn. We came to learn that Jesus does have a ministry, did have a ministry strategy, and here's what it is. Jesus ministered to the masses while discipling a few. That's it. It's that simple. Jesus ministered to the masses while discipling a few. Uh, the whole ministering to the masses thing, I think that's pretty simple. We all would get that, right? I mean, the Sermon on the Mount, feeding of the 5,000, which is really like 20,000, uh, the four soils, all the teaching that Jesus does with the crowds and the Pharisees and scribes and, you know, even the triumphal entry, great crowds and all this kind of, right? We kind of get that. We understand Jesus ministered to the masses. Uh, that's just kind of almost a no-brainer in that. But I would ask this question, think about this, as we came to talk about this. When Jesus was on the cross, where were those top masses? Well, you might say, where were the 12? Okay, let's keep on going. After the resurrection, where were the thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of top masses, where were they? At the ascension, where were those thousands and thousands of top masses? Really, where were they? When Jesus gave the great commission to the people, who did he give it to? We're going to see that in just a second. There's no question that ministry to the masses was on the center of Jesus' ministry target, but who stuck? Who are the ones that stuck and had the real impact long haul for ministry for Christ? Well, it was with the few that he discipled. Look at Mark chapter 1. Let's go to just a couple verses, uh, passages here. Mark chapter 1, verse 16. Jesus, in the very beginning of his ministry, he comes along and he says, Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, this is way before their disciples, the brothers of Simon, casting the net into the sea, uh, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Come to my class. Come hear me speak downtown. No. Friends, these two words are the center of the strategy. Follow me. Follow me. If you follow me, something will happen. What does happen? I will make you fishers of men. Jesus had a purpose on where he was going. This didn't just happen by uh, uh, just, wow, that was a quinky dink. No, this was on purpose. And he told him, follow me, be with me. Uh, turn a page to Mark chapter 3. Look at verses 13 and 14. Um, this is actually about halfway through his three years of ministry as we would talk about it. Um, verse 13, and he went up on the mountain and he called to him those he desired and they came to him and he appointed 12 whom he also named the disciples, apostles, so that, in other words, hear the purpose, so that they might be with him and, might, and he might send them out to preach and to have authority. Wait, this was a, a key strategic move. Jesus kind of had a medium circle-sized group of people hanging around him. And out of that, uh, all of a sudden, he grabs these 12 guys, and he says, listen, I'm tagging you 12. 
I'm tagging you 12 to do what? To be with me. Once again, we see the exact same ministry strategy. Look over in chapter 4, verse 10. Here, the parable sword, chapter 4, my favorite chapter in the whole Bible. Uh, chapter 4, verse 10, and, and it says, and, and when he was alone, uh, those around him, this is right after he had been ministering to the masses, by the way. When he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables, and he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. My point is there's a distinction here. We could argue that there's some medium-sized group of people in that context, and I agree so. But I'm just the point is, is there's a distinction. To the masses, Jesus ministered in a particular way, and then to these guys, he had a different objective with them. It's very distinct. Jesus was incredibly purposed in what he was doing. He wasn't just some British-accented guy walking around randomly trying to figure out what to do. He knew exactly what he was doing, and he knew that between ministering to the masses and working with his few, there was a grand distinction on what was happening with them. Turn to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, verse 7. Verse 7, and he called the 12, and he began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits, and he charged them to take nothing with them on their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no nothing. Hey, hear me. Never do you ever see Jesus giving this direct call to the masses. In all his ministry, never. Never do you see Jesus giving this kind of direct call, even to what I would call the medium circle sized group of people. This was to those who were closest with. These were to the guys that he was training. These were the guys that he called to be with him side by side. Now let's go to the end of the book. Go to Mark 16. Mark chapter 16, the last verse, last passage we'll read. Mark 16, last passage out of Mark we'll read. Uh, Look at verse 14. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven. By the way, that's actually really encouraging because Jesus leading his small group of men, he even had one bag. Gives me hope. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table and he rebuked them, ouch, for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had arisen. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Well, Doug, that sounds like ministry to the masses. Yeah, I I would agree with you. But understand this, what's the context? The context is he's talking with his 12. He's talking to his peeps. He's talking to the ones that he had done life together for this year and a half or so. He's talking with them in it. This is what's happening. He was ministering to the masses, but I'm telling you, friends, as you see through Scripture and if you read through the Gospels on Jesus' strategy on how he did ministry, it was the 12 that he banked it on. And by the way, when you think about what happened afterwards, who did the big bust work for the Lord? The 12. Jesus purposely ministered Life on life, side by side with 12 guys. And by the way, with the 12 guys, I don't see anywhere where it's just data download structure. I don't see low-cost relationship. 
I don't see convenience. I don't see easy. I don't see lightweight. I see hanging it all. Investing it all in these 12. I'm telling you, it's like if these 12 bomb out, the ministry design's in trouble. That's clearly what we see in Scripture. These guys laughed together, cried together, argued together, forgave together, worked together, walked together, taught together, questioned together, did life together, and not by accident, by design. By design. And actually, I would say this. I think when you look through the Gospels, you see Jesus doing this. Big circle, small circle ministry. Medium circle was there. But you just don't see much focus on it at all. It was part of it. But it's the big circle and the small circle that were the kinds of things. Was corporate teaching a part of it? Absolutely yes. Was low-cost, distant relationship with other people part of it? Absolutely no. Instead, we see Jesus doing high-cost, high-touch, life-on-life, together ministry with a few. But, Doug, that was Jesus. Gotcha. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 2.8. 1 Thessalonians 2.8. And if you've been around here for a lot of years, you know what's coming. And that is my life and ministry verse. 1 Thessalonians 2.8. 1 Thessalonians, the context is Paul is giving a defense of his ministry. He's actually explaining how he did ministry. And so Karen and I, we looked at it, we were like, okay, if Jesus, it clearly seems to be that way. If he did it that way, did others do it that way? And then we come across this passage where Paul is talking and explaining how he did ministry. And he says this, New International Version, I have to go to it. He says this, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you. Stop. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you. I think really the context of this is Paul is explaining that even before we came to you, we came ready to share with you, even though we didn't know you. We knew of you, but we didn't know you. And we loved you even before we knew you. I think in the context, the reality of what that first statement is really getting after. We came there not really knowing you, but we came not knowing you, but we came loving you. Why would you do that? Because God loves people. And if God loves people, then we're to love people. It's not about hobby buddies. It's not about same stage of life things. It's about people. God loves people. And you and I are to love people. And loving people looks like this, sharing something. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you something. And there's two things. And the first thing is the most oddly stated thing in the whole Bible. And I mean that seriously for me. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you, hear this, not only the gospel of God. Now, what that's saying is, is they shared the gospel of God, right? 
Okay, so Paul goes doing loving others ministry, and what's the tool he has in his right hand? God's word, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And he goes there, and he shares that with them. And I love today that ministries and people talk about, it's about gospel-centered ministry. Booyah, right on. But that's not it. Just give me the gospel. I, I, I would push you. And I would say that wasn't the case for Paul. Because Paul right here, he says, not only the gospel of God. What's the second thing? The second thing is, is our lives as well. Two tools in the ministry bag. This and this. That's it. And you go to people, even if you don't know people, I love you because God loves you. And so I'm bringing this and I'm bringing this. If you only bring this and don't bring this, you have a head knowledge ministry. If you only bring this and not this, you have a human ministry. If you bring this and you bring this, you bring Jesus-centered ministry. And friends, that's why we do small groups. Because guess what? In here, I purposely try to share this amongst ministry to the masses. Because it has to be part of it. It has to. And so I tear up and those kind of sappy things, not on purpose. I don't have those in my notes. That's just who I am. And I talk to you about my life because I want to model for you. I believe ministry to the masses involves this and this. But it's more than that. It's more than that. We see Jesus grabbing a hold of a group of guys and investing and downloading his life and the gospel into them. And we can't do that in this setting. We just can't, right? We just can't. We do small groups on purpose. Because we think that small groups are the most strategic way to accomplish the small circle circle. It's not a fad. And it's not just while we're in the theater. We do small groups because it's who we are. They go together. Doug, are we going to do medium circle things? Yeah, we will. But guess what? They will always be fine line, dotted line things. They are not the center of the target. So I have a few things to encourage you with. Number one, if you're not in a small group, I just want to let you know this for this fall. If you're not in a small group, you are not second-class citizens here. I mean, that's very seriously. We don't view you as unspiritual. I want you to know that. I realize there are just times of life where life's full. You have to make some choices. We also realize that Maybe just the whole getting together with a small group of people is just funking you out. That's okay. It's overwhelming. That's okay. It'll take some time. It just takes some time. That, that's all right. Or maybe you've had a bad small group experience. Maybe it's been here. Maybe it's been somewhere else. That's okay. I understand. I just want to let you know we love you and we don't view you as second-class citizens. But I would ask three things of you. Number one, would you pray for us in our small groups? 
really, would you please pray for our small groups? We have nearly 300 people in this church involved in small groups here this fall. 25 small groups. And would you please pray for the small group leaders and the other people, even though you're not able to be in one right now, and just that God would do a work among that. We would love that and appreciate that. Secondly, please ask. In other words, please ask someone over this fall who's in a small group, just walk up to him and go, hey, Rick, I'm really curious. What, are you in a small group? Yeah, I'm in a small group. What's God been impressing on your heart? What's God been working on your life? Would you ask? I would invite you to do that. And it would be great for them. And it would be great for you. The, the third thing I want to ask of you is that you would please consider. Please consider whether it's now or in the spring or next year sometime that you might jump into a small group. So if you're not in a small group, those are three things for you. If you're in a small group, I've got four things for you. If you're in a small group, number one, go committed. Hear me. Go committed. Choose to make these 12 small group gatherings here this fall a priority on your schedule. Not if it's convenient, not if you feel like it. Because I'm going to tell you in my small group, there are going to be nights where I'm like, not feeling like it. It's all right, but it's a priority. It's a priority. Um, if you can't be there nine out of 12 times, maybe this isn't the time for you to be in a small group. I just say that lovingly because I'll tell you as a small group leader, one of the hardest things is lack of consistency. It just makes it really hard. Go committed. If you say you're going to be in, be in. Secondly, go prepared. Do your lesson. Come ready to share something. Just know that I'm going to come every time ready to share something that God's worked. Uh, Have your head in the game. On the way to small group, pray. Pray to prepare yourself. Go committed, go prepared. Third, go for community. Um, I'll just say it bluntly. Small group isn't just for you. It's about community. It's about doing life together. Uh, I'll even say this. Small groups are about more than the material. I don't necessarily like what we're doing right now, or I didn't like this chapter or this week's thing that we're doing. Hey, that's okay. That's okay. Guess what? When I go through the scripture and teach the scripture every time, there are sometimes some chapters I'm like, oh God, help me through this one. Okay, but you go. Because it's about community together. Um, Go to give to the community. Go to give into it. It's about mutual ministry. Uh, uh, Go to look what's going on in other people's lives. How can I encourage them tonight? How can I love on them tonight? That's what community does. And and going for community, if you're quieter, uh, uh, that's okay. But have something ready to share. Okay? Just have something ready to share. Please, please don't make your small group leader just have to pull it out of you. Oh, it's it's so hard. Um, By the way, if you're a talker... one thing to share. Okay? Because it's not about you. It's not just about you making sure everybody knows what you know. Ask questions if you're a talker. Draw people out. Go committed, go prepared, go for community, go expecting. Uh, Don't expect a Sunday school class where you're just going to go and sit. 
Don't, don't, please don't do that. That's not what it is. Instead, go expecting a community, as we've talked about. Iron sharpening iron. As iron sharpens iron, so one man, so one woman sharpens another. Go expecting that. Uh, by the way, don't go expecting to critique people or the material. God is sovereignly putting you in a group with some people. And he has you in that group on purpose. Something we may know or we may not know. But God is wanting to do a work. Uh, uh, Go in knowing and expecting that God is going to do a work in your life and everybody's life. Go looking not only for what God's going to do in your life, but go looking for what God's doing in other people's lives. That's one of the most cool things what God's doing in other people's lives. So go committed, go prepared, go for community, go expecting. Hey, small group leaders, I've just got uh, four things to say to you as well. Uh, prepare to share. And what I mean by that is prepare to have the group share. Don't prepare to teach. Prepare to be a facilitator. Prepare with questions. When a question comes at you, uh, uh, try and uh, uh, be slow to answer. Toss it right back. Great question, Chris. Chris, hey, how about Adam? What do you think about that? Okay? Uh, go prepare to share, uh, not to tell. Uh, prepare to be humbled. Friends, I want for everybody to know here, stated by the senior pastor, small group leader is the hardest job in this entire church. It's harder than doing what I do every week. I walk away on Sundays, and we walk away in small groups on after we're done, and you go, I stink at this. True? It's true. That's a good place to be. Because it's not about you, and it's not about me. God uses his word in the lives of people. Let God be God and us be the facilitators. Prepare to be humbled. Third, prepare to be blessed. Yeah, just do that. And lastly, prepare with prayer. It's the hardest thing to do. Spend a little less time prepping the notes and a little more time praying on your knees. Hey, could I have all the small group leaders, would you please stand up here? This isn't to applaud them. Just please stand up. Would you do that? And by the way, if, if you know that you're going to be a, a small group apprentice in that, if you know that, would you go ahead and stand up as well? Just be a part of this. Um, I, I got to tell you, Uh, uh, the reason I'm doing this is I want for everybody to know this is a big deal to us. We love you guys and we love everybody sitting. But I want the ones who are standing, I want to say thank you for being warriors on the front line. Thank you. Can we have everybody stand? I hope today um, you're rejoicing in what God is doing beyond our walls. I pray that our time together today, and we'll, we'll, we'll end here, and pray that our time together today and singing is the kind of thing that has just taken you in your mind vertical to the Lord. And I pray our time here talking about small groups has been helpful for you. I, I hope this is the kind of thing to get behind the curtain and understand why we do ministry the way that we do. 
I want to let you know, one of the things I love about Harvest and Harvest Ministry is we're serious about ministry impact. We don't want to play church. We want to be the church and get after it. And thank you for wanting that as well. Because iron sharpens iron. So one man, so one woman sharpens another. Let's be that. Jesus did that. Paul did that. Let's us be that. God, I want to thank you for the time together and for these people and whom you love and we love. And, oh, God, this is a community, and, and, and we are here in this big circle format together. It's, it's important. You've called us to have this corporate gathering together, and how exciting to do that. And, God, this is a unique Sunday, kind of a special out-of-the-norm Sunday that we're just taking some time to, to focus on a couple things, just a couple of our ministry target things that are really important to us. And God, in the distraction of things and in the distraction of ministry, I pray that we wouldn't get distracted. I pray we would stay on center. And Lord, ultimately, as we have on our ministry target, we have weekend worship and small groups in the center, ministering to the masses while discipling a few. Oh God, I pray we would be that increasingly so, more and more. May that stay the center of our target, always, always, always because we want to minister to the masses and we want to disciple a few. Not only just as a church body, but as individuals in this church body, that's the call for every one of us. May we be that. Oh Lord, we need your help. We sang today about it. You are the center of it all. May we allow you to be that. Thank you for this place. Oh, my word. Karen and I love these people, love this place. Thank you for this gift. May we as a church love you deeply and increasingly so for the great and beautiful and marvelous name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Hey, Harvest, you are really loved. You really are. Blessings.